red flags, but okay podcast beginning in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Jen. Kate. We're back. It looked like you were just like pressing your head to your pop filter. (laughs) I'm just going to watch you through my pop filter. I'm excited because I am in my comfy chair in my bedroom. I am not leaning over a like weird fold out table in the middle of my living room. I have all my furniture. I have all my stuff and I am in my comfortable bedroom and it's great. So I'm I'm in the world's most comfortable chair right now. And how are you doing? I'm doing great. I've got Good. almost every single animal in this room with me right now. So <laughs> prepare for lots of weird background noises. Congratulations on that. I We think I have zero animals in my room, but there's truly no way to know. But Jen hates it when I do <laughs> this like protracted, how are you doing? So um, <laughs> this is weird flex, but okay. This is a podcast where we say things at you, you process them, and you learn something. If you choose not to learn something, that is your fault, not ours. It's not our problem. And what are we doing today, Jen? We're doing a very interesting topic that I think a lot of people are going to love. And some might even say they'll be head over heels for it. <laughs> I mean, I hope so. Because <laughs> the topic is head over heels. I hope you guys like it. <laughs> what if I just said that at the beginning of everyone? I hope you like my book report. <laughs> please give me an A plus. Please, oh please. Um, okay, so we predetermined that I start this one. We did predetermine. Okay, all right. So I'm I'm going to begin our head trauma nightmare with the king of all head trauma catalysts, <laughs> World War One. Everybody's favorite injury inducer. Um, the Great War, as they called it, because why would they call it war- World War One? whenever there was only one? <laughs> it introduced rapid fire weapons as well as explosives and shrapnel producing artillery. That, plus advancements in medical treatment on the battlefield, meant that soldiers were sustaining absolutely horrific head and face injuries and they were actually surviving them. Because even though a lot of other wars had some pretty brutal injuries, they really weren't living much longer than sustaining the injury. Countless soldiers were returning home with with livable but devastating facial disfigurements. This had silver lining in the form of plastic surgery advancing leaps and bounds. But for the vast majority of the young men now marred for life, plastic surgery really wasn't an option. It was truly experimental. It wasn't doing as much good as it would do now. Now, a lot of times somebody can lose their lower jaw. Also, trigger warning for some serious body horror in this episode, by the way, <laughs> because there's there's a lot going on here. But previously, um, if you lost a huge portion of your face, they couldn't do a lot to rebuild it. And even if they did, it, it you wouldn't have you would have permanent nerve damage. You wouldn't be able to use that piece of your body. It would just be skin covering something. Ugh. Yeah, but that's where a Massachusetts, I cannot say that word, that's where a Massachusetts, there I am saying it right, sculptor named Anna Coleman Ladd comes in. Anna had studied sculpture in Paris and Rome and was well regarded as an extremely accomplished portrait artist. When her husband, a doctor, volunteered and left for war, Anna needed a way to help. She heard of the work of a British sculptor, Francis Derwent Wood, that does not work for my mouth. (laughs) 
And old Francis was making masks for disfigured soldiers out of tin. Previous to his work, they were made of rubber and were cumbersome, hot, gross, and the men didn't really like them. They also kind of looked like crap. They did not look Mm -hmm. like faces. They gave Anna an idea. She went to Paris and worked directly with Francis Wood. The masks she made were extremely thin tin made from molds taken directly from the men's faces and even contained real hair for eyelashes, eyebrows, and mustaches when needed. They were either held on by very thin string or by glasses. In some cases, they looked so real that from a short distance, you can hardly tell that they were masks. The work she did allowed hundreds of men to be comfortable in public, appear in family photos, sometimes even go to work, when they otherwise wouldn't have been able to do so. This work also led directly to an area of prosthetics called anaplastology. I I know it's not. I know that where the etymology of it comes from, but I like to imagine that it's Anna like her. (laughs) Her first name was Anna. (laughs) And anaplastology is still used today. When you see somebody who maybe lost a nose or they have a hole in their mouth or something that can't be covered, they will make – they're a lot of times held on by small magnets that are put into their skin, but they'll make these prosthetics that go on it, and that's where it comes from. But yeah, that is how a lovely woman from Massachusetts really helped a lot of people feel comfortable in their own skin again after losing their faces. I love that it was a woman. That I do too. Honestly, it was a woman <laughs> and a man, but I'm only counting her. <laughs> well, before it was just that gross, weird rubber thing, and then the woman was like, hang on, let me fix this. Listen. What if he, yeah, he was using actual mold of the human face? Yeah. Like he was using tin and he and, and he was making like huge strides with it. But I think she went far and away to make sure that more people had access to it through the Red Cross. And also sidebar on that, um, at the time, husbands and wives weren't allowed to fight on the same front. She had to get special permission from the general that was over the area to go move to Paris in order to make these masks and work with the soldiers because they she technically should not have been allowed to go to paris since her husband was fighting in france oh interesting okay ah mm-hmm. ah. and of course my file just stopped working at the same time finally jen gets all the technical <laughs> difficulties jane's going crazy google docs is not loading <laughs> Just, That's okay. I'm super comfortable, so I'm, I'm actually super cool with it. I'm like, I'm going to improv this episode. Go for memory. <laughs> it's just conversational. We're doing this episode conversational. <laughs> Listen, high heels have been around forever. And as yeah. we know, most men of this day and age would never admit it, but heels were not just for women. Mm-hmm. Originally, they were worn by noble people both men and women. And then women kind of originally, actually they were for men and then women kind of joined in, took over it a lot. And then um, now we are kind of seeing a little bit of a switch back to both men, women and non-binary people wearing heels. But one thing we are lucky about is we didn't have to wear heels for this reason. And it's one of the reasons that they were popular for the noble people, not just because they were made of expensive materials and ex- hard to get, but they were more practical and not necessarily an accessory. So we're going to hit up the medieval times and the way, way back machine. Here we go. Here we go. 
And we're going to learn of a surprising yet brilliant reason for heels. The well. <laughs> I watched it fall behind you. Jane. Yeah, you did that, Jane. You knocked that I over. <laughs> Don't act so shocked. I'm leaving that in. <laughs> The wealthy population would wear platform shoes in order to avoid walking on the garbage and sewer that lined the streets during this beautiful period of time. Yes, Mardi Gras 2022. (laughs) Vomit in the streets. So the heels were used quite literally to raise them above the garbage that all the poor people had to live in. Oh, my God. So their dresses and pants wouldn't get dirty. No metaphor whatsoever. Purely to literally lift them above the garbage. Lift them above the garbage. (laughs) I love that for them. That is a practical use of heels back in the day to really just show the class divide. You know, the uh, like the Japanese shoes that you would always see in like anime or whatever uh-huh. and like old pictures where they're like the platforms and stuff when we went to the market there was actually a lot of people at the fish market that were wearing those because they were to walk above the puddles that were on the ground at the fish market and we actually saw a bunch of people with their like socks and sandals <laughs> walking around and it was just interesting to see because it's like oh yeah that is like just a, a Japanese thing that Japanese people would do <laughs> it seems like such a old-timey thing but like yes there is a purpose to it they're they have these platform sandals to walk above everything that's really fascinating yeah. I think um I think all the I think if you were to draw a Venn diagram of the dudes who are who talk about their testosterone levels being super high and how they're like the manliest men and the dudes who have the highest heels on their cowboy boots <laughs> it would be a circle <laughs> <laughs> they're just like nah, i ain't no lady like all right well nobody said you were but you brought it up all right okay we're gonna we're gonna get somber and weird all right jen tough question here uh-huh What would you do if you had a degenerative disease that was killing off your organ systems and your body, but your brain, ostensibly your head, was just fine? Uh, Like, am I conscious? Yes, you are conscious. You are living in your body, but your limbs are not of use to you. Your organ systems are dying. I don't know. That's a tough way to live. I'll tell you. Okay. Well, obviously... You would get your perfectly fine head transplanted onto a donor body. Oh, are we going to talk about the Italian? Yes. The head transplant. Oh, I love this. This is my favorite topic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> What's your favorite things? This is our first date. What's your favorite things? Human head transplant. <laughs> the fact that like Italy and Germany have less restrictions, so they actually get to try this. Oh my god, it's so problematic. <laughs> okay. So, oh no, you say this is impossible. You don't you didn't say that. <laughs> you actually said that you love it. <laughs> this is science fiction. You didn't say that. Um, if I'm Italian neurosurgeon and aficionado of somehow the smallest possible classes, Sergio Canavero, I'd say that it's totally possible and I'm super gonna do it. Watch me. 
if I was nearly anyone else in the neurology field, organ transplantation field, vascular surgery field, or bioethics field, (laughs) I'd say, Sergio, please shut up. Get some glasses that you can actually see through. Those glasses are too small. You cannot see through them. That's (laughs) basically a breakdown of the current affairs in the debatably useful sector of surgery that is human head transplantation. (laughs) Now let's look at the history. This is the most problematic part of all. First, we need to go in the Way Way Back Machine, which we will basically be living in for this episode, by the way. Mm -hmm. We're going to head to 1908, when the first head transplant was done by French surgeon Alexis Carroll for the purposes of perfecting his new techniques for for vascular connection. This was important work that was made unnecessarily cruel. The head of a dog was grafted onto another dog, and it didn't go great. The blood flowed, and some function was reported, but everything else went very poorly. This happened again in the 1950s and 60s with German and American surgeons doing some genuinely disgusting things to unsuspecting dogs that I won't go too deep into because we love dogs. Mm -hmm. They learned a lot, but the main thing that they learned was that the surgery was too complicated and that it was basically impossible to have a reasonably positive outcome. The head transplant trail went blissfully cold for a very long time until in 2012, Chinese orthopedic surgeon, and I wrote this out phonetically, (laughs) Ren Xiaoping, decided that he was hard for head transplants and started (laughs) messing with mice. (laughs) He was able to graft a couple of mice heads and the mice did survive for six months. That's when we get to Sergio. Chopin and Sergio Wonder Twin Powers activated in the 2010s and decided (laughs) exactly and decided that they're going to do it, baby. They did some more experiments. They grafted a cadaver head onto a cadaver body, which like I think even I could do, to be honest with you. Did they also (laughs) try to harness lightning to revive it? Like, come on, Frankenstein. I hope so. Yeah, I really hope so. Um, They established plans. The problem is that on Sergio's part, at least, he doesn't seem to have a grasp on ethics and the existing technology doesn't support the plans that they made. Why would someone want to go through this just to have a body for a week, a month, six months, and then die extremely painfully? Additionally, why have a donor body full of organs that can save dozens of lives sometimes go off to be a paralyzed blood supply for a single recipient? What are the legal implications for a body that is now 92% if I round up genetically someone else entirely? What are the psychological implications? Is it ethical to have someone go through a surgery that is such an astronomically low likelihood of saving their life? There is a lot to unpack, and we're not going to unpack it here because this is a short-form podcast. (laughs) As of now, the procedure has not been attempted on a living human. There was a man scheduled for the first attempt, but he pulled out, citing that he just has too much good going on in his life to risk it. He has a family now. He has a wife and a child. He's living in Florida, of all places, and he just didn't want to do it anymore. The recovery alone would be horrific in the unlikely event that you survived at all. I'm going to leave you with a quote from Dr. Hunt Batter. I don't know how to say that, and I'm sorry, doctor. President of the American Association for Neurological Surgeons in 2015 that I think is very poignant on the subject. She said, I would not wish this on anyone. I would not allow anyone to do this to me as there are a lot of things even worse than death. 
that I think is the quote that I first saw maybe regarding this because it was about the like psychological implications of it and like what that could do to your mind like being attached essentially like your nervous system and everything attached to a brand new body and like you might yeah we might find a new level of crazy (laughs) Well, and also it's not like you have use of this body. Mm-hmm. And if, if everything were to go perfectly, you don't get to use the body for anything more than basic organ systems and blood supply to your brain. It's not like you can suddenly get up out of bed and walk. Mm-hmm. You just have a body that hasn't deteriorated that much. And then also for some diseases, that body is also going to break down and you're going to have to live that again. Mm-hmm. Like that blows. <laughs> I hate that. But yeah, that's um, where we stand right now on on human head transplantation. And I would say it's grim. Yeah. Considering they've been working on it for 12 years and haven't really made it. I think they, they pr- tried it on some monkeys. And I want to say the longest monkey lived for like nine days or something mm. before dying a very painful death. Yeah. And like you, when anytime you do transplantation, there's so much that goes wrong, and there's so much, so many issues with rejection. And if you have your entire body is possibly being rejected because mm-hmm. your entire body is the transplant, or alternatively, your head is the transplant onto this body because your head is only about eight percent of your body. Mm-hmm. So one of these very important parts of this of this whole process are going to get rejected. <laughs> Listen, I can like, talk about this. No matter which one you think is getting rejected, it's bad. <laughs> Clearly, we could talk about this forever. I feel very and strongly about it. And we will afterwards. <laughs> On our new podcast, Human Head Transplantation, <laughs> the musical. <laughs> Y'all gonna make me lose my mind. Open oh, no, you. No, Open no, you. No. <laughs> Don't do it. You spin She's my right head right round, baby, right <laughs> This is a new gen we haven't seen before, and it's insensitive gen. <laughs> it's a new fresh gen. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna bring us up some n- a notch and really (laughs) i'm gonna talk about the worst invention ever in my opinion mostly because i cannot walk in them and that is the stiletto heel oh baby (laughs) i i hate them but i actually can walk fine in stilettos it's just why would you i am so grateful to whoever made the decision that the chunky heel is back in style Mm. because i can walk in those i love a wedge I can walk in a wedge also. Yeah. I feel like wedges are God's heels. <laughs> well, if you've ever wondered why the these killer and painful shoes are named the way they are, well, then you're listening to the right podcast. <laughs> this is a special etymology corner time. Woo! Stilettos are named after the Italian word stiletto. And that's it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> It's Italian. It's Italian for heels. Bye. Bye. <laughs> in 
Stiletto means short dagger with a thick blade. Okay. It all tracks. Yep. So they stilettos got their name in 1953 after the heel was designed in a way that resembled these Italian blades. And that's that's how they got the name. Oh my god, the animals. Sorry, what is that? Jane's happy tail banging on the coffee table. And then Lily's just sitting on top of the coffee table batting at her tail. <laughs> just, they're so funny. They're and then so funny. Walt's laying on the ground just kind of going. <laughs> and no Welcome to, to Petcast. <laughs> This is PetCast. This is where the pets take over the podcast. <laughs> so anyway, that's the stiletto. If only we could actually bake the heels like literal knives. We can use them as weapons. I've seen, like, obviously they're not walkable shoes, but I've seen ones that are like art where it is an actual knife. Mm-hmm. And I think it is so cool looking, but it makes my feet hurt horribly. Every single pair of shoes I've ever owned, I feel like it took a piece out of who I am. I don't like to wear shoes. I am from Mississippi. We know this about me. <laughs> I don't wear shoes that often. I I just wear I, I ran in the mud to catch my cat in socks today. I didn't <laughs> even go put shoes on. <laughs> but um stilettos are just a special torture device. And I think that one day we should delve into the history of why we've chosen to torture ourselves so much and cause ourselves so much pain. Mm-hmm. Okay, Jen. So much of this episode is kind of body horror so far. So um, here's some pseudoscience to really tie it all together (laughs) as if head transplants weren't enough pseudoscience. Let's hop into the way, way back machine where we live now and go to the late 18th century where I wrote this the weirdest sentence I've ever seen. (laughs) I think I combined four sentences by accident. That's why it's five pages. I I, I should have cut it down. I <laughs> just combined work and them all. No play one. makes Kate. Uh... <laughs> I feel like Stephen King right now. <laughs> Cocaine. Okay, let's hop in the way way back machine and go to the late 18th century. In 18th century, ger- and go to the okay. Let's hop in the way way back machine. <laughs> Shut up. time and we're not gonna laugh i'm gonna read it and we're not gonna laugh all right center yourself think of something sad (laughs) head transplants that's not sad at all it's hilarious okay (laughs) all right let's hop in the way way back machine and go to late 18th century germany where we will meet up with absolute weirdos franz joseph gall and johann gasper spursheim i think it's spursheim Gall and Spursheim had come up with and begun lecturing on a new scientific idea called organology, which later turned into phrenology. Are you aware of phrenology? I think so. All right. Well, you will be. <laughs> so this wait. idea, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> this idea held that certain parts of your brain, which they called organs, were used 
okay, this idea. <laughs> I can't handle this. I'm going to do this so many more times. <laughs> this idea held that as, that as certain parts of your brain were used, they grew and subsequently shrank when they went unused for long periods of time. The skull then formed to the shape of the brain that now grew and shrank with different organs, I guess. And it could be read in a process called cranioscopy. Phrenologists developed increasingly complex maps of the cranium that were said to dictate personality traits. Here are some examples of different maps. One was called propensities. These maps showed things like cautiousness, destructiveness, love of life, secretiveness, and a bunch of Victorian words that I do (laughs) not know, and I do not think they are real, so I'm not going to look them up. (laughs) The next one was sentiments, which showed self-esteem, truthfulness, benevolence, hope, wit, firmness, and stuff like that. And another was intellectual facilities, which I think is pretty self-explanatory. And then we have reflecting facilities, which was like causality and comparison. Let me remind you, it is pseudoscience. So if you're like, that doesn't make sense. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) Yes. Phrenology was a sensation spanning everything from anatomists who were deadly freaking serious about it to criminologists who were using it to condemn people to your everyday smarty pants using it as a parlor trick to impress their friends. This was easy to do at the time because phrenology, on top of all of that, was also super classist, sexist, ableist, and racist. Practitioners of phrenology believe that the different skull shapes of different races meant that somehow Caucasian people were the master race. This also meant that men with their big old bowling ball heads were more well-rounded than women. Uh, well-rounded. In fact, well, phrenology is where we get the term well-rounded. We also get the terms highbrow and lowbrow from the practice. A higher brow line was seen as a sign of intelligence, which coincidentally, Caucasian skulls tend to have a higher (laughs) brow line. In the 1840s, phrenology more or less fell out of practice. Practitioners could never really agree on exactly what the different lumps and bumps meant (laughs) and what areas they were located in. Neurology was also starting to develop in a real way at this point. So phrenology became kind of like astrology. It had its revivals from time to time, usually in very problematic ways, but it is definitely pseudoscience and it's definitely weird. And I could write an entire book on it because it's so crazy and it was used in so many different ways. There's a ton of like old timey court cases where they use phrenology. They would have people in jails and they would feel feel up their heads and try to decide what all these different lumps meant. Um, But this is the smallest overview I could imagine ever writing on it. But yeah, that's phrenology. And you have, if you have ever looked at any Victorian media whatsoever, you've probably seen one of those um, like heads that has a little map drawn out on it where it has like different sections representing different parts of the head and that is that's a phrenology map i did not know that well-rounded lowbrow and highbrow came from that i didn't either until i was started researching it and i think that that's very interesting that those things stuck around yeah i'm gonna start saying i'm just i'm lowbrow 
And I'm lumpy. I'm not well-rounded. I'm lumpy. I'm not well-rounded. I am I very favored to certain lumps. <laughs> I'm just I'm just covered in lumps, you guys. <laughs> I just love the idea, too, that they thought that your skull formed to the shape of your brain and not the Ew. other way. Like, we know it's the other way around. That would be so gross. <laughs> Could you well, imagine and, if and our also, heads were, like, the brain-shaped... <laughs> your brain was like a muscle and like if you used certain parts more that those parts would grow so like the idea <laughs> that like you're in a you're like having a bad year and so then like half of your head just gets way bigger <laughs> because you're like mad all the time <laughs> you saw your victorian propensities are different all right we're gonna take a detour mm-hmm. from the shoe side of things and we're gonna switch okay to dogs as has been demanded by my animals <laughs> they, they said it's our time this is now dog cast if you have an extremely well-trained dog then you're probably familiar with the command heel if you're mm. like me <laughs> then your dogs are just going crazy you may be familiar with the command but lack the discipline to get your dogs to follow it when using this command, it signals your to your dog to walk at your side, traditionally on the left side, and their head is near your hip. It helps to keep them from pulling or running around when you're walking. The origin of this command is interesting, though. The reason most trainers will have the dog on the left is believed to come from, like, hunting and the time of, like, warriors, uh, because most people are right-handed and so, therefore, their weapon or hunting rifle or hunting rifle would need to be used by their dominant hand. So the dog lead would be in the left. Another possibility is that when you would approach a horse, you're typically coming from the left side of the horse, which means the dog would need to be on your left side so that it's not in the way. Mm. And then the reason we call the command heel is most likely due to the fact that when this was first happening, the placement of the dog was just behind and to the left. So it was basically it was following your heels as you walk. Nowadays, the dog's more parallel to you when you walk oh, out with the command. That makes sense. I never really even thought of it that way. When I was a kid, I thought that whenever people were saying heel, that it was always like a <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> that it was always like a um that it was always like a working dog. <laughs> they were getting healed. <laughs> I love that. That's such a cute little kid like, story. Just every single time, like heel, like it's like a video game. <laughs> the dog's just throwing them health packs. <laughs> every time I hear the command, I think of the hunchback of Notre Dame when he tells the horse his horse's name is Achilles, and he tells the, he goes Achilles heel. The horse stops, <laughs> and it's just the funny it's one of the funniest Disney jokes, and that is also foreshadowing for a further topic in my section so that's interesting i did i just never really even considered that it had its origins and like hunting and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and that makes perfect sense well maybe one day jane will respect it (laughs) i don't know why i'm calling her out like it's it's only her (laughs) it's mostly her 
I mean, she's she, going through it. She wasn't taken out on walks a lot growing up, so she just gets really excited. Yeah, she's learning. She's learning new things. She's just messy. All right. We're going to take a short sabbatical from brains and uh-huh. craniofacial injuries, and let's talk about potties. I love potties. Uh, we're potty training in my house, which means that the world revolves around the potty. But more specifically, we are going to talk about maritime potties. <laughs> the term head for a ship's toilet has been used. <laughs> I was like, I have no face. idea where we're going with this. <laughs> your face when I finally pulled it out. You're like, okay, great. She loves toilets. It's just like, <laughs> this is interesting. What's going on I'm with like, her? And then because I kept thinking like, is she saying parties, but with like a weird accent? <laughs> parties. <laughs> Suddenly from New Jersey. <laughs> The term head for a ship's toilet has been used since ships had toilets, basically, because it was typically nothing more than a chute at the very front of the ship, the head, designed so that normal wave action would wash the refuse away. The term head eventually exclusively meant toilet and bow became the preferred term for the front of a boat to avoid confusion. So you're not like, go to the go to the head and then they'll just like start pooping. Poop on command? I wish, I wish that that's something that ever happened. But we will talk about something that did happen that seems so unlikely. And I love it. Okay. When submarines became a thing that people could live on because of the added pressure of being deep in the ocean, their toilets were always an issue. They were often so complicated to use that the head was used as extra food storage instead, and everyone just held it until they surfaced, which sounds ridiculous. But, like, they would surface at night, and basically their captain would just be like, freaking hold it. (laughs) You can poop whenever we come to the surface. If the the toilet flush system was used improperly, it would expel water into the hull of the submarine instead of out, which is... The like opposite of what is desired. Like so, poop expel the in poop a, water into the. Yeah, but like you're in a submarine and it's water expelling into the hull. Like you have bigger problems than a turd. Like <laughs> <laughs> you're in a you're underwater. You don't want I hope water they have in their your high tube. heels for that. <laughs> yes, exactly. I can walk above it. Thank God I can walk above all this. Okay, listen though. In a piece of trivia that I have possessed for most of my life. And I really hoped that I could use someday, and now I can. <laughs> the poorly designed head was actually what took down Nazi submarine U-1206. <laughs> I love that. Here's the riveting story as fast as I can tell it. So U-1206 was a late war submarine that went into service in 1944. It had a toilet so high tech and hard to use that there were people designated aboard who were trained to flush them. (laughs) While cruising off the coast of Scotland at a depth of 200 feet, someone flushed wrong and it flooded the hull. The water leaked into the ship's batteries that were inexplicably located directly beneath the head. The wet batteries produced chlorine gas and they had to surface. Once surfaced, the British forces attacked and the sub was scuttled. Four crewmen died and 46 were captured. If this wasn't a cruel enough fate, though, honestly, they were Nazis, so I feel very little for them. This whole thing happened a little over a month before the end of the war. (laughs) (laughs) They just were taken down by a faulty potty and the war was almost over. That's an amazing story. 
I I always hoped I would somehow have a way to use that because it's not it's one of you know how I'm just like full of knowledge that which is basically why we have this podcast <laughs> that if I was to just to say it to people they would be like great and never speak to me again <laughs> that's one of those pieces of knowledge <laughs> and now we're forcing everyone to listen to it about now you've all heard it and you also still have to speak to me some of you <laughs> that know me personally I think I know someone who's gonna love that story who I think our number one listener, Finn. Is it Finn? He's going to love that Finn. story. I hope I hope that you take that in and that you remember it and that you tell somebody. That will be my greatest joy is if Finn tells somebody he knows about the Nazi submarine <laughs> that had to surface and was taken down because their toilet flushed backwards. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. It's the moment we've all been waiting for. Oh, God. I, just, I was warned about this. Oh, no. this It's not this one. Okay, <laughs> not yet. Right, That's well, my last mind. one. Okay. This is the paranormal portion of the podcast. Oh, okay. Thank God. Now, I've got something good for you today. Okay. Our story starts with David Papillon. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to call him David for the rest okay. of the story. <laughs> Okay. In the 18th century. So as mentioned, still in that way, way back machine. Never came back. We live there now. He was a wealthy courtier and the master of the Papillon Hall, which I'm pretty sure is butterfly in French. Yeah, it is. Okay. I think. I think If so. we're wrong, don't tell us. Yeah. In Leicestershire? Leicestershire? Okay. Anyway, we're in England. <laughs> and rumors say that... Good old David was fond of drunken debauchery, friends with, and he was friends with the devil, and he had demonic powers that allowed him to paralyze his enemies with a single glance. David sounds dope. Sounds like he knows how to throw a party. Yeah. During his time at the hall, which is what they call it, hall with a capital H. I'm not just Ooh. avoiding using Papillon. <laughs> She's going she's gonna to capitalize everything so she never has to use Papillon. He, it's the hall, it's and then he went the to hall. the bathroom, and then he got in his car. Okay. During his time at the hall, he had a Spanish mistress that he kept Ooh. locked away as a prisoner in the attic. So was Not she a good. mistress or was she as, like a, a prisoner? No bueno. Um, she was allowed to walk on the roof for exercise, though. Oh, my God. That sounds like my old apartment. That's my Japanese apartment. <laughs> um, that is until 1717 when she disappeared under mysterious circumstances. It's said, by, s- <laughs> it's said by some that she burst into a flock of butterflies. I'm just kidding. Papillon! <laughs> Papillon! Um, it's said by some that she died in the attic, but not before she cursed the house and promised death and disaster to any owner who dared to remove the silk heels she wore when she would walk on the roof. Soon after her disappearance, old boy David, he moved to Kent to live with his new wife. However... He left explicit instructions that her shoes never be removed from the house. A little sus. Yeah, you just move and you leave a pair of shoes. <laughs> like, you totally move. Imagine this in current times. 
and you leave a pair of shoes and just leave a note like don't move these shoes not like someone them. else moved in <laughs> don't move these shoes i would leave well unfortunately in the mid-19th century the contents of the house were given to the daughter of the previous owner the house changed hands many times and so the previous owner got the daughter got all of the contents when the new set of owners moved in including the heels Mm. the new owners almost immediately began experiencing thumps crashes and voices coming from the attic and a local clergyman was very nice and informed them of the curse so they went and got the shoes back and put them back in the house and all the mysterious activity stopped this happened multiple other times as the years went on with different owners people would take get rid of the shoes and then weird stuff would start happening and so then they'd get the shoes back and it would stop what if they couldn't get the shoes back like they always got the shoes they always back? got the shoes back they didn't throw them that far then <laughs> i guess did not. in 1903 the hall was renovated and a body was found in the walls near the attic I hate that for us. It was never confirmed if it was the mistress, but really she was a prisoner. Papillon. (laughs) Eventually, the house was demolished in 1950 and the shoes were donated to a museum. However, the site of the former Papillon Hall does still experience paranormal activity to this day because the shoes are not there. There's new buildings. None of them have the shoes. The shoes are in a museum. And the transfer, when they got put in the truck to be delivered to the museum, he ended up going the wrong way and, like, drove around in a trance, so to say, for several times. Mm -hmm. And then finally showed up, like, several hours later at the museum with the shoes. I don't like that. Those are the... I don't like it. Cursed (laughs) papillon heels. If you were to curse where you currently live, what would you leave behind that... No one could move. Mm, a clock. A clock? I yeah. was going to say a book. No, I want to take all my books. <laughs> Actually, I'm taking these to the grave, homie. <laughs> I have so many cursed objects in this home. What would I leave? Mm, you know what? A cat toy. <laughs> Just leave a cat, for goodness sake. <laughs> I think... What is the most obtrusive object in my home that someone would definitely want to move? Oh my gosh. I think I have this gigantic sewn together torn American flag hanging in my bedroom. It's huge. I think that (laughs) because then people would just be like, I do not want this in my bedroom. Mm -hmm. And be like, well, you can't move it because my body is behind these walls. Ooh, that just struck me right in the fight or flights about people living in my walls. (laughs) It just hit me right now. <laughs> my See, the cat toy is a good one because it's like, oh, they left it. I'm going to throw it away. Mm-hmm. And then you can't get it back and you're cursed forever. You have to get rid of garbage the way these people in the story got rid of garbage <laughs> where they just uh, like put it in a shed not that far away or something. Apparently, so they can immediately yeah. get it back. <laughs> if I like – if I moved into a place – and somebody just left like a pair of shoes and I threw them out. They're gone forever. Gone they've forever. gone to the, they've, for, first they they're got in the crushed dump. in the dumpster and then they're in the landfill. Yeah. They're gone and it's over. And, and now I have a new ghostly friend in the, in the attic. And now we've got ghosts. Great. <laughs> 
you know, I love a good list. Oh, yeah. And a recipe is kind of a list, right? It's, it's a list it's a of list. ingredients. There's there's ingredients. Some, sure, might say, there's sure. some might say a recipe is the best kind of list because it ends in food that I can eat. Oh, you are not going to like this one oh, then. Oh, great. Is this a recipe for disaster? <laughs> kind of. Um, it's. I mean, it's a recipe for potential family fun, depending <laughs> on what type of person you are. Oh, no. Um, so here is the recipe for a shrunken head in three easy steps. <laughs> you know what? I like this recipe. Which I know you 100% asked for and you are excited to hear. So good. There's a cat. Come to listen to this. Okay. Number one, you need to get an enemy's head. If you can't slay one in battle, store-bought is fine. Okay. Take that head and remove the skin in one piece. Ooh, that's difficult. This was often done. Removing the skin in one piece? Well, it was often done with dull wooden knives to prevent cutting through the skin. Like, you don't want to do that. You don't want to cut through the Mm -hmm. skin. It wants to cut off one piece. So, also, another trigger warning. I mean, I'm not getting that into it, but... If you really can't handle body stuff, you would cut up the back from the neck up the back of the skull and you would remove it all and you would work off the, all of the soft tissue. And then you would sew the eyes and mouth shut. That's so that's just step one. (laughs) (laughs) seems like a lot of steps for step one. It's not. Um, Step two is a very important one. You're going to want to fill your ceremonial pot with river water and get that to a boil. (laughs) <laughs> Jen is just throwing cats. She just <laughs> like Lily- she's just this little screen, and she's just tossing cats off. Lily her. just decided that she needed to just claw me everywhere, <laughs> that she was getting tangled in the headphones, and I warned she's everyone. Trying to become, she wants to turn you into a shrunken head. I warned she's everyone to kill you. that the animals were going to be peak performance today. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so once you have filled your ceremonial pot with river water and got it to a boil, you're going to chuck that head skin in and let it simmer. So you want it to simmer for about two hours. This will shrink it a little bit, but not all the way. So you're going to take it out, let it cool. It's going to shrink down a little bit. Next step. Does it have to be river water? We've come so far. What? Does it have to be river water? Yes. But what if I... It has to. It has to. This is a ceremony. Okay. This recipe, this is one of those recipes where if you deviate, it's never the same. Okay. I'm it's cursed. It's never the same. Then. And I can never get rid of I have my... a few recipes like that. Anytime I do it differently, <laughs> totally gross. This is the last step. We've come very far. We're almost there, guys. You're going to sew the back of the head shut. You're going to chuck some hot sand and stones in there, in the little coin purse that you got that is a head, through the neck hole. You're going to alternate them out until the head is real little and cute. And this takes about two weeks. And you're going to let it dry and harden. And then, bam, you have a shrunken head. You're going to use it in your ceremony after battle. And then after that, typically because the actual act of making the shrunken head was more of what they enjoyed doing than actually keeping them. They weren't like they weren't like keepsakes from battle. They didn't actually want them that much they just the act of making the shrunken head was important to them culturally so you would probably throw it out honestly you you throw it in the river most likely or sometimes they would give them to children as toys and um congrats you've got a shrunken head of your enemy to do whatever you want with i love it 
Yeah, I thought you would. I know that that's the type of thing you do. I just, I, I needed that recipe in my life. You're welcome. Not, not everybody is a chef, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to mm-hmm. continue our grossness mm-hmm. for the ending of this episode. And I'm going to warn everyone now. If you're like me, and at first I thought maybe this was just a me thing, but then I confirmed with Kate that she's also like this. Anything to do with like your Achilles tendon or your heel getting like stabbed or sliced or cut, if that mm. makes you all huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, you're going to love this section because I'm going to talk about uh, horror movies that involve that because that seems to be a common theme in a lot of them. <laughs> It is such a nightmare. I have my legs propped up and I now it's like that part of my leg. And then it's also like the backs of my knees feel exposed. Like what if there's something under my bed? Now I'm starting to spiral. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to make it worse. But first I'm going to talk about the Achilles tendon. So shockingly, it is named after the Greek myth of Achilles who was dunked into uh, the river Styx, right? Okay. I didn't actually double check this part. So I was like, I only know because what if I got the river wrong? (laughs) I only know for sure because Olive was reading the Ken Jennings book about Greek mythology to me. Excellent. And she was she goes hard as hail for Hades. All right. Go Olive. Okay. So anyway, he was dunked in and to make him invincible, and the only part of his body that didn't get submerged was his heel was that a cat you know where to come <laughs> where are you <laughs> where, where are you <laughs> hold on a second <laughs> I, <can't. laughs> I just pulled a cat out I said I hope there's nothing under my bed and, there's and the cat's cat like me surprise <laughs> why'd you yell she's telling a story okay sorry okay leave anyway his heel was the only thing that didn't get submerged in the water and that eventually led to his downfall when an arrow pierced it (laughs) (laughs) why are you yelling just go away where were you she's telling a story get your butt off my laptop He's just rubbing his butt on my laptop. Okay. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm listening. I'm I'm here with you. So an arrow pierced it. And um, this is the first moment in history where we talk about it. Uh, Your Achilles heel tendon getting getting sliced and just really grossing me out. I cannot believe that that's how they took down Brad Pitt. I can't believe it either. Embarrassing, honestly. In everyday humans, though, this is the tendon connecting the calf muscle to the heel, and it is the strongest tendon in your entire body. Really? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I did not know that. I didn't either. I don't know what I thought it would be, but it wasn't Uh, that. Exactly. Interesting. Um, It's very important for the action of walking, jumping, or, say, running away from a horror movie villain. Exactly. Yes. Is that Mo or B? It's Mo. He's purring so loud I can hear it through the monitor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get to the good stuff. Okay. Mm. Some movies that have included these scenes are 
the original adaptation of Pet Cemetery. Nice old neighbor mm-hmm. recovering in his bed from an ankle injury, and then a little demon child pops up from under the bed with a no, surgical no. scalpel. Ah. <laughs> I know, I know, same. Slices the Achilles tendons before slicing up the rest of him. Mm. Which seems a little, like, unnecessary because obviously he's already like stuck in bed resting because he already hurt his ankle you don't need to slice his tendons um i'm just so (laughs) not liking this (laughs) in kill bill volume one the lead character the bride gets revenge on a hospital worker by slicing his heel in order to incapacitate him so she can then smash his head I mean, valid and effective. It is valid because he was selling her body for people to Mm -hmm. abuse while she was in a coma. So, like, honestly, she probably, he probably deserved worse. She should have done worse. Let's be real. Yeah. House of Wax. This is my nightmare. Classic. 2005 remake. Jared Padalecki Um. is getting his Achilles tendon sliced by the killer from a trap door. Oh God, it's It's, so bad. I mean, it's like a bad movie in the best way, but like the trap. Chad Michael Murray's in it too. Paris Hilton. I was about to say Paris Hilton. How are you bringing up Chad Michael Murray before you bring up Paris Hilton? (laughs) Nightmares, though. That's like my fear that I'm just gonna be like walking on something like with wooden slats, and someone's just gonna stick a knife up. I think about that so much literally so much <laughs> like you remember that giant deck i had in, yes um so underneath that was hollow and all i would think is it, it looks like it's like concrete underneath but it wasn't it was just hollow all i could think about is i could fit underneath there like i could easily slide under there like a crawl space somebody could have been under there when i was walking around and stabbed me in the well that happened to paris hilton in house of wax she was running and the killer stabbed straight up her heel and that also sounds horrifying well that's why you don't live in a house of wax and then potentially the worst um in the last one i'll be talking about Mm. but i have never seen thankfully because i am not interested in movies like hostel (laughs) i know okay i am and I can see it in my mind's eye right now. Have you? I'm assuming you've seen it. Oh yeah. I, fa- I was yeah. like, Kate's probably seen it. <laughs> you did. Oh, it's gore. Yeah, I saw it in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the character is given the tease of freedom after being strapped to a chair where someone paid to just you know torture and kill him, and they untie him and let him say, "You can go." Except he had had his Achilles tendon sliced, and while you didn't get to see that part. Uh, you do get to see what happens when he stands up and it all falls apart. So I'm so visibly cringing right now. <laughs> so so um, yes. now, excuse me, I'm going to confirm that my heels are unharmed. <laughs> I am clenching. I'm like, I have my foot <laughs> pointed so much, like trying to protect my heels. I'm pressing my feet so aggressively into my bed. <laughs> I hated I writing that. I can't believe at the beginning of this, my <laughs> cats both came out from under my bed after this entire time, like further reminding me that something can fit under my bed. <laughs> so that was my last little fun segment of horror movies to avoid if you don't like that or scenes to avoid in the horror movie. <laughs> Thanks. I hated all of it. It was not great. So the worst of that for me is the scalpel. Ugh. And I don't know why. I don't know why that's the worst one to me. 
Oh, it's just the so Jared Padalecki. He got hit with scissors, which I think is also terrifying because that's just an everyday item. It's so bad. I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know what. Like, even in in Troy, which we all know is the best movie oh, of all God, time. It's, such a good movie. it's the only love story. So <laughs> it's the most problematic movie ever. <laughs> but in Troy, the arrow goes like in between mm-hmm. in his like Achilles heel. Yeah, but like that's not as bad because it's not slicing it. You know what I mean? Ugh. I mean, it's bad, but it's not that bad. I have known people in real life who have torn their Achilles heel, and that has made me feel so ill. Because people, just... like, as people who run, like, we've all had that, mm-hmm. like, soreness there. Like, we yeah. know that feeling. But, um, like, imagine tearing it. Yeah. <sighs> It's yeah, interesting like that, that it's the strongest tendon because I feel like it's the most vulnerable. Yeah, maybe that's why. Maybe that's why it's so vulnerable because it's just like I'm so strong, you could do nothing to me. And also, if you do, you literally can't walk. So, <laughs> yeah. Also, cutting tendons is really a lot harder to do than people think it is. That's reassuring. So, if there's somebody under your bed and they're trying to cut your tendons, <laughs> just uh, I don't know. I don't know. I have nothing for. You. <laughs> We have no- I think I think at that point you you're you're a goner. You're a goner. <laughs> you're done. Crawl to safety. <laughs> well, citations. Yeah, I actually feel so gross right now. <laughs> I just, this episode, this episode has been exactly what I love. It's gore. It's horror. <laughs> it's injuries. It's brains. But it's so gross. <laughs> Here. It's every single thing is just like bleh, bleh, bleh. I'm gonna... the only good part is walking in high heels so that you don't step on garbage <laughs> and poor people. No, the, <laughs> from the stiletto knife. Okay, yeah, that was cool. What if you have knife stilettos, like actual knife stilettos, to not so that you can pick up poor people garbage with your Ooh. heels? Like like community service. Okay, I got some jokes just to lighten the mood for all of us. It's just going to be her reading more movies. <laughs> <laughs> the police chief asked, do you have any leads or suspects for the murder case? The officer responded, I'd like to interview the bartender wearing high heels and a leopard print dress. The chief frowned and said, please just wear your police uniform. <laughs> I just knew it was going there, but it was still funny. I love a joke. <laughs> <laughs> God, this is a good one. I went out to a party in my mom's high heels. My friends thought I had mommy-ish shoes. <laughs> mommy hyphen I-S-H mommy-ish. But oh mommy-ish my god, I did not shoes. get that. <laughs> I did not get that. I was just like, and? <laughs> like, they don't like your shoes, okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That went so above my head. <laughs> I have to cut out anything in this podcast where I don't seem intelligent. <laughs> All right, so those were our jokes to just lighten the mood. <laughs> I hope you feel better. I hope your body feels better. I hope you can sleep okay. better tonight. <laughs> All right, so we're going to do citations, and I started, so I'll start. All right, when talking about some facial trauma repair in World War One, I, I got that from Smithsonian Magazine and from Lindsay Fitzharris, who wrote um, The Butchering Art, but it's not from The Butchering Art. It was an excerpt from her new book, and I don't know the title. Um, When talking about 
human head transplantation that came from articles in the independent and then the gory details book which is actually the book i'm reading right now (laughs) um phrenology everybody's favorite pseudoscience that came from sawbones book the book that i read my kids before bed (laughs) because i am that kind of mom and from SciShow, which is a really good YouTube show about science, and a Slate.com article. And when talking about submarine heads, <laughs> which sounds like an insult, um, that came from uboats.net and some piece of information I gained as like a 10-year-old that I don't know where it came from. <laughs> but I did um, verify it on uboats.net.com.edu.uk. <laughs> And the steps to making a shrunken head came from, of course, Mental Floss, where we get the best recipes. All right. I've got some really interesting ones. But first up, we have Wikipedia, high-heeled shoes, and etymology online stiletto for the dog command heel. We have iheartdogs.com. That's your homepage. (laughs) For papillon heels. We have two nerdy history girls.com. Is it? i literally was like oh my god is this like mining kate's like alter egos wow we look gorgeous here (laughs) and then for the achilles tendon and here comes walt walking across the computer because he hadn't made an appearance yet so he said this is about me obviously i also have heels um we had britannica for just that brief synopsis on the achilles tendon and Another blog written by your favorite two people, <laughs> Little Red Horror Blog, <laughs> for the grossest ankle injuries in horror movies. This was a very good episode. And um, if you want to contact us for any reason, like, for example, you were on a U-boat that was scuttled because your toilet flushed backwards. If you had your head transplanted onto a dog or... If you're currently wearing heels made of knives so that you don't have to walk on poor people's stuff, please contact us at Weird Flex Podcast on the Instagrams or weirdflexpodcast at gmail.com. And then our Instagram is also where we add some visual aids for the episodes. And then any sort of memes or episode info is going to be posted there. And um, I have been kind of posting on Fridays because that's just when my life chills out enough um i know i used to put like months ago before we went on our hiatus i posted on wednesdays and i've been posting on fridays but we post when we post guys right (laughs) (laughs) it's fine we're doing things but i hope you guys enjoyed this episode i really as much as i am violently guarding my legs right now (laughs) i really enjoyed this episode i thought it was a really really good episode and i really liked the research and i loved your research too it was very fun and informative and disgusting which is all of my favorite mm-hmm. things exactly very weird <laughs> thanks for hanging out with us and we'll see you next time see you next time